Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the Classic Series Redrive. Check them up. Let's get started. Well, welcome in to the Classic Series Redrive, episode number 70. Mark Hosteller here, along with Kyle Forsyth and Men in Idaho, or Manan, whatever it is. And, yep, Manan, uh, you betcha. We have... Uh, Wayne, Wayne Waring, he chews uh, Lisa out every time. Cause he's from this area and she announces it and she always says from men in Idaho, double S Belgians. And she looks back at Wayne, got it right that time. He's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> it's Manan. <laughs> <laughs> also, we have Logan Reinhold in the Reinhold Tack and Western wear studios, taking care of all our editing that we have to do all the time. He's a big producer and always does a hell of a job for us. So, Kyle, you kind of had a show this weekend out west in uh, Montana, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the Big Sky Draft show. Horse Show in Deer Lodge, Montana. They had a great event. Steak suppers every night, which was fantastic. Steak and baked potatoes. And they, they've they done a lot of work there. They keep Every year they keep trying to improve the show a little. Uh, this year, Jake Yoder and uh, a couple other guys from that area. They had the, There was a prison in town. They actually had the prison crew picking rocks so they had all the rocks picked out of the arena and jake called bunch in a bunch of convicts out there yeah <laughs> picking rocks. yeah for about like the month before they had a like a semi-trailer load of rock out of the arena i guess and <laughs> and uh then they put down all new fresh footing some sand and uh yeah so it was great footing they had a lot of rain there this spring but the footing was great the they worked really hard on on that and so they're always trying to improve the show and uh, 10 sixes, which is about as much as they can handle right now. There's talk like they're going to build maybe another, another building for stalling, um, in the future to, to up the number of hitches. And yeah, it's, it was a great event. Great show all three days. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We came off our first show of the year there in Shipshawan of the Midwest draft horse classic. And Logan was there helping as well with that. And no, it was turned out to be a good show at 16 sixes again. And, uh, we had a good pull. We have a horse pull there as well. We had 15, 15 pair on Friday afternoon and 15 pair on Saturday afternoon for the heavyweight pull as well. And that went over really well. Good, uh, good crowds and good show all the way around. So it was nice to, nice to get back out and get some driving in and try to, get this group back in shape and get myself back in shape for the summer run. It's fun. Good time. Yeah. It's kind of nice to, it seems like uh summer show seasons upon us. This is kind of the start of it last weekend. It feels like you get through Wilmington and into now, and then all of a sudden it just kind of hits and it's July and August turn into a, to a real run. We have the snake river draft horse show in Ryrie, Idaho coming up June 30th to June, July 1st couple sixes there and uh if you're in the area in idaho anywhere close to it this upcoming weekend that's where you want to be also coming up the big butler fair in prospect pennsylvania they're going to have a classic cart there july 2nd katie morrison's a contact there calgary stampede right around the corner calgary alberta july 6th to 10th that's always a big one uh big prize money up for grabs and kind of a neat show a neat atmosphere up there Slayton, Minnesota, July 7th 
tonight, the Murray County Classic Draft Horse Show. They have a couple sixes there. Festival Lagrange and St. Patrice de Beaurevage. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, long story short, it's in Quebec, Canada, uh, July 7th to 9th, the TLA classic right around the corner to July 13th to 15th. I know we got a big following that, that goes there. The TLA classic, Rick and Andrea put on a great show there. And then the Delaware County fair in Manchester, Iowa, the 15th and 16th. So quite a few shows coming up here in the next couple of weeks, Mark, uh, when's your next one? Yeah, we'll um we'll hang out and uh, go to TLA Classic there in Topeka. Yep, I think I don't know. I've heard two numbers. Somebody said they have twenty sixes, and I heard also eighteen. So I'm not sure, but nonetheless, it'll be there'll be a lot of hitches there, and it's uh, they got the barn set up pretty good, and the ring there is you know outside. It can get a little warm, but it doesn't matter where you go that time of the year. It's always going to be warm, uh, middle of July. But uh, no matter if it's an indoor show or an outdoor show, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, yeah, that's where we're heading next. What about you guys? Are you going to Calgary or are you just hanging out for a bit? Yeah, we do the Snake River Draft Tour show here. Uh, it's only about 30 miles from us next weekend. And then uh, we'll be kind of, yeah, we'll be kind of done then till Jordan time uh, towards the end of July. We, uh, we've we been using some young horses and they're really doing great we're really proud of how they're coming along but at the same time want to keep them where they're not totally ragged out and burned out we want to kind of keep them trending the right way so yeah yes sir you get to the heat of the year you gotta definitely want to be a little more careful with your horses everybody got to make sure you feed them lots of salt is Last episode, I believe. I I didn't realize that too, but I, I picked that up on the last episode. Chris Cole, what did he say? It was two to four ounces a day of loose salt. A substantial amount, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think probably a lot of us underfeed electrolytes and salt, and these horses can take a lot of it. And uh, yeah, yeah, it makes them look better if they're full of water. Um, yeah, they they'll look better and feel better. Yeah, for sure. It might it might upset the stall cleaner a little bit because they might pee a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, but. I was going to say shavings <laughs> bill will be driven up a little bit, but but at least you'll have healthy horses. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Right. Yep. That's right. What's new with the classic series, Mark? Oh, um, Brenda just texted me a few things here today to remind people. Um, any show administrators, or if you're um, wanting to go to a show and you haven't seen it online yet, uh, the deadline for your show to be registered for the fall, which was Labor Day and after, is August the 15th. And um, she also just made a uh, told me to remind shows to submit results. Um, everybody, she gets messages daily about are these the latest you know point totals um, from random fans to obviously uh, hitch members and now with the kids and everything. So she gets quite a few of those messages messages. And, um, she said that, um, you know, a couple have, you know, been submitting them, submitting the results quickly. And, you know, that just keeps, keeps with the momentum for the rest of the summer. Uh, we're only missing a few right now that haven't turned them in yet. And, uh, so that, that's the big thing that she was pointing or stressing is to get, get those points submitted 
uh, for the general fans and everybody else involved uh, that follows the classic series. And another thing is uh, exciting thing is the merchandise is now available on the website. We teamed up with a company and um, the company makes everything for us. So we, with, there is quite a bit of classic series merchandise online now. Um, and it's on the website. There's a link on the website to go, go ahead and, and buy some merchandise. Uh, we haven't, we've been, a, been struggling on that department a little bit. We've been, you know, searching for the right partner to go into with, uh, on this. And we found a pretty good company. Um, Carl Lottie actually helped out a lot with that. And, and, uh, so there is merchandise available, um, online and, and coffee. Uh, don't forget about the coffee, the official caffeine drink of the redrive. Yeah, caffeine's always a hot topic, and uh, some people like caffeine, some people don't. But at the same time, we have caffeinated and decaffeinated options. Yeah, right. That's right. What's the website, Mark? You can either go on the Classic Series website. There is a a link to it, or I'll just go on SparkPlug.coffee. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's all on there. And yeah, if you don't like caffeine, get the caffeine options. If you don't like caffeine, get the decaf option. That's right. And uh, support the youth program. Yeah, I tell you what, we had a how sales been? Have you checked on the sales? Great. Uh, I don't. I don't have any any idea on that. The youth, the youth board, and Brenda would have that information. But uh, yeah, I we had a great youth turnout again at our show there in Shipshawana. I think I believe there was twenty four in the judging, eighteen in the youth cart. Like just great numbers, and which is exciting to see. And and. as many youth as are participating, the more, the more money we can raise through this coffee, you know, the more scholarships we can hand out. And I think it's just a great idea and great thing that we got going. Yeah. It's really encouraging uh, to see that's, that's just a fantastic, fantastic for the, for the organization and, and for the future of our industry, having that many youth getting involved. Yep. Yep. So no, that's about that's what we got going on. And uh, this episode on episode 70 here, um, we had the privilege to talk with a couple six, very successful veterinarians that also have draft horses, uh, Dr. Dwayne Wilcox and Dr. Uh, Stacy Wells Kiefer. And we just actually, we just had a conversation about horses and, and uh, vets and some of the stuff they get into and, and maybe some pointers for everybody. Uh, I I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, fantastic episode. A lot of respect for both those veterinarians. And uh, yeah, just a lot of useful information. Yep. I uh, we, we had a little bit of audio trouble with Stacy at times, but our super producer, Logan, he he uh, helped out on that. But other than that, it was it was great. And I. Sure, you guys will enjoy, and don't forget to drop by any mailbag questions or any feedback feedback you guys have. Don't be afraid to email us at the Reinhold Tack and Western Western Wear uh, mailbag, and we'll try to get to some questions here again relatively shortly on some of these podcasts as well. But uh, anyway, yeah, no, another uh, thing: uh, be sure to support our advertisers. The advertisers on the podcast here really have stuck with us, supported us. And uh, without them, the podcast is not possible. So uh, be sure to support the advertising on this podcast and give them a thank you uh, for their support if you want to keep listening to the podcast. 
Yeah, absolutely. And make sure you tell them that you listen or, or where you heard of their um, products and so on and so forth. So episode 70, hope you guys enjoy and we'll see you down the road. The Smith family has been in the meat snack business since 1975. There are now four generations of Smiths working with Glenwood Snacks. Glenwood Beef Jerky is made with solid pieces of 100% premium beef and smoked with real wood smoke. Their jerky is in high protein, low in calories, and darn good to eat. Also, look out for new lines of meat sticks. Look for the Double S Belgians, the equine ambassadors of Glenwood Beef Jerky at a show near you. Our many flavors of 100% beef jerky, signature meat sticks, and snack bundles at glenwoodsnacks.com. Follow on Facebook, Instagram, or by calling 208-624-9851. Orders over $50 ship for free. Glenwood Snacks. Well, welcome into the uh, Classic Series Redrive here. Um, Kyle Forsyth joining us in Manan, Idaho. How's everything going, Kyle? Good. Sun shining, and we've had lots of rain for the desert. It's kind of nice. Everything's staying green so far, so we might make uh, make it through June with green grass in the in the desert. Good. Very good. We could use a little rain here in the Midwest, but I'm sure we'll get it sometime. Um, I'm here in the Reinhold Tack and Western, Western Wear Studios here with Logan Reinhold. Uh, on the soundboard today, and joining us is Dwayne Wilcox, Doctor Dwayne Wilcox, and also Doctor Stacy Wells Kiefer. Um, we are going to have an interesting conversation about horse health and so on. But uh, before we get started, let's um, introduce yourselves and kind of just give us a background how you got into the uh, vet trade. Go ahead, Stacy. Um- um, this is Dr. Stacy Wells Kiefer. Uh, we live just east of Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, and my dad had me on a horse before I could sit up by myself. So I was around the horses my entire life. Uh, my best friend's dad was a veterinarian. And it was just something that I always wanted to do. Was very interested in biology and, and FFA and uh, showed cattle and horses. And so it, that was just what I had always planned to do was be a veterinarian, uh, graduated from veterinary school 30 years ago, um, have seen veterinary medicine change drastically since I graduated from vet school, um, predominantly just do performance horse medicine and reproduction. Um, so that's a little history of where I, um, come from. Where did you go to school, Stacy? Um, I went to a veterinary school at Colorado state university. Is that where you met the handsome and stunning TJ Kiefer? Or? Uh, yeah, he was a client. So yes, I met him after vet school. He was a a client of mine. Had an awesome buckskin rope horse, and so it was really, you know, the horse. That... How did it transition into to having a Bertrand hitch? So we lived at a place an old gentleman had had draft horses throughout his all of his years. And he went to Harley Troyer's sale and bought a young team of horses. And at that time, I think Blair Kiefer, no relation, 
was probably in his 80s, and these were pretty young, spicy horses. And so he got TJ involved, and we'd go for Sunday morning drives. And so we got into the farm and friends got us competing on the farm horse side and then forehead not knowing it was for for the money and tj was working all night long in a snowstorm and came home with four extra horses and show harness <laughs> that was fast <laughs> <laughs> so you're blaming him obviously <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> uh, no, very... he had phone calls when he got out of the, the mountain back into cell phones hey we'll help you get him home and then gene hilty started getting us driving and here you go very good very so good. on your practice now do you practice do you own a practice do you work at a practice do you uh portable or i guess so you I have a clinic or own, I own my own practice. I'm a solo veterinarian. Um, we do have facilities at our place, um, but I am mainly mobile. Um, but so I am able to go to farms or we have facilities at our place where we can keep a few head and work on them. Great. And and you're still in Colorado now, right? Correct. We we're still in Colorado. We live about uh, ten miles east of Fort Collins, Colorado. Yep. Very good. Very good. Uh, Dwayne, what's your story? So I grew up in Northeast Indiana on a dairy farm, and my parents had standard bred racehorses, and I got interested in veterinary medicine when I was probably around 12 years old. I have an uncle who practiced medicine, veterinary medicine. And, uh, I like the cows fine. I just like the horses better. So I went to a racetrack practice as an assistant in the early eighties in New York state and standard bred racetrack and, uh, graduated Purdue in 86, joined that practice. Uh, traveled for five years with uh, practice on the road through the Grand Circuit stake races. And in 1991, I came to Chicago and was employed by that practice at that point. And a year later, went on my own and I'm a solo practitioner. I did the standard racetrack for 30 years and I don't go to the racetrack every day now, but I have a performance horse practice now. We started the Percheron Hitch as a 4-H project in 09 with uh, a pair of grays from the Bob Rice family in Ontario. And uh, we were warned that it was uh, contagious and we just keep getting more. And that's proved to be true. I think we're feeding 11 head this morning. And you met your beautiful bride, uh, on the track, didn't you, Dwayne? Yes, I did. Beth uh, had uh, a group of horses at Sportsman's Park in the mid-90s, and we met there, and uh, we were married in 
96 and we bought our farm in 97. Um, we bought what was a uh, standard bread training farm on the southwest side of Chicago and it has a half mile track on it. And we have a horse swimming pool and none of that gets used for racehorses per se. We have a few people that bring a horse now and again to use the pool, but for the most part, it's just us there. Do you uh, train your train the Pertrins in the pool some? Uh, we've had a, a couple in there. We don't do it very often. We, we, we've tried it. It's a bit of a tsunami when they hit the water and, <laughs> and uh, the, the light horses, when you swim them, you can pull them around in the water and if somebody gets in trouble, you can help them. But I think if the Pertrins get in the water, I think they can pull you in. So mm-hmm. we don't, we don't very often put one in the pool. And we never put one in the pool if that's around because she's not a big fan of that. Yeah. <laughs> Where, uh, where'd you go to school at, Dwayne? So I graduated from Purdue in 86. So you're a boilermaker, toilet maker, whatever you um, call them. I'm a boilermaker, yep. Very good. Very good. And for you, of the, <clears throat> you that don't know Dwayne and... His family have the Gray Thunder Perchins, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Gray Perchin Gelding Hitch that they campaign throughout the summers and always nice to have them at the shows. We would like to thank Ship Shawana Harness and Supply in Ship Shawana, Indiana, Mr. Bob Schrock. If you're looking for products for the show ring or at the farm from A to Z, anything you need, horse nutrition, tack, you name it, make sure you check them out, shipshawanaharness.com. Follow them on Facebook or visit their shop in beautiful Ship Shawana, Amish country, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. till 4 p.m., and Saturday, 8 a.m. till 12 noon. Call Mr. Bob Schrock, 260-768. 7254 for all your draft horse needs. Uh, let's just kind of get at it here a little bit. Um, what's your, you know, just get some opinions on maybe some vaccinations. Uh, what's your opinions on vaccinations and uh, warming schedules? Go ahead, Stacy. Um, being here in the West, we typically recommend given Eastern Western tetanus, definitely let West Nile. Um, we, we have seen a lot of the West Nile. We still see a lot of West Nile. Um, so give Eastern Western encephalitis, the tetanus, West Nile, um, flu and rhino. Um, and then rabies is steadily making its way up North from Texas and stuff, we've had lost, oh, several horses over the last five or six years to rabies. So we have started giving rabies vaccinations. Um, And then in the fall, we just come back with a flu rhino. If we didn't get rabies in the spring, we'll give rabies in the fall. I guess we're lucky enough. We get cold enough. We don't have to do the encephalitis twice a year. We know down south that they... Some veterinarians recommend giving the encephalitis vaccinations twice a year. And I do think we have so much horse traffic in this area. I mean, this is a huge horse area, everything from roping to rainers to cutters to the 
um, that it's just a huge horse trafficking area. So, you know, I think vaccination is important, not only because of the mosquitoes that we have, but the diseases that get transmitted from horse to horse, such as flu and rhino. What's your uh, what's your warming recommended schedule? I, I think I may vary from farm to farm. I mean, I'll typically suggest rotating wormers. I usually do an ivermectin after the first freeze to make sure we get the bots. And then I'll give another ivermectin three months later. And then I'll switch to a panicure from Bendazole. And then I'll do a Strongit um, or Pyrantel. Um, a lot of clients have gone to doing fecals and not deworming, but we've scoped some horses and have found bots. So I, I do think we at least need to get a, an ivermectin in once or twice there, get rid of the bots. Is it the Proziquantil? Is that what they call it that you give after the frost, the more expensive ivermectin? Yeah, the Proziquantil is going to get your tapeworms. And so I always usually give at least one ivermectin Proziquantil at least once a year. Sure. Mm -hmm. Dwayne, what's your thoughts? Oh, sorry, Stacy, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. So vaccination, um, we use a six-way here in the spring East, West, tetanus, flu, rhino, with a West Nile in it. Um, I use that all in, in, a, in a single one cc dose, or that's what I recommend to the clients anyway. And for the most part, that's how we do it, unless we have a known reactor. And then uh, do that in the spring. Here in the 4-H programs, um, Rabies is mandatory in Indiana through Purdue Extension. So all the 4-H horses have to have rabies. Uh, beyond that, I let that be the client's choice. Recommend it, but it's their choice. Um, now, just on the rabies, sorry to interrupt you, but on the rabies, does it have to be documented? Because will the horse not test positive for rabies after they're vaccinated? Am I right in saying uh, we don't report it to anyone here? I don't think. I mean, it's reported on the 4 H project paperwork. Right. And then the, we have a lot of strangles here, and it seems to come and go in cycles. So uh, most of my clients are in a strangles vaccination cycle right now. Then they'll get away from it, and then they'll have a strangle pop up again, and then we'll do it again. I use the intranasal pinnacle, but in the 4-H, uh, several counties have now made it mandatory that the horses coming to the fair have to be documented that they will give it strangles. And then I just, for the most part, use the flu rhino in the fall. I have a few clients who do quite a bit of trail riding here, and uh, if they're trail riding where there's any water, I recommend to them that they get Potomac course fever vaccination and, and they follow that protocol. So on mares that are bred, do you guys recommend using the flu rhino 
or the rhino combo or whatever is it like a five seven is it nuva board or whatever five seven nine yeah i recommend that but dr stacy does much more repro than i do i'll let her take this one um, I actually don't do a flu rhino in my pregnant mares. I do the just the rhino, the the um, and I typically use Prodigy, not trying you know support one drug company, but I just don't have the reactions um, with that rhino. And we'll do five, seven, and nine months. I've had a couple mares that have such vaccination reactions, and we can pretty much isolate them. That we didn't give them the rhino this year because. It wasn't, it just didn't outweigh the risk of the reactions that a couple of these mares have had. Um, but then I'll come back in. We've gotten to where we use what's called rotavirus, which is helps with uh, the foals can get a rotavirus and causes diarrhea. Um, so we do come in at eight, nine, and 10 months with a rotavirus. Um, I just don't see the diarrhea in my foals. Um, I know that they had an outbreak at the reproduction center at Colorado State this year and so um, with rotavirus. So it, it is something we're starting to really see. Um, the, the bad part about that vaccine is it's pretty costly because it's a conditionally licensed vaccine has to come straight from the manufacturer. But I I do give the, the rhino vaccine to my pregnant mares. So do you vaccinate them normal then in the spring as well? So a month before they fall, we give them their normal vaccination so that the colostrum is, um, um, they, the foals get protection from the colostrum um, for that first four months. So yes, we'll come in a month before they fall and give your normal vaccinations. Interesting. So, yes, you, we, you, you talked a little bit about having reactions. Um, what are some of the reactions you might see from a horse, you know, re, you know, from, from the vaccines? Well, I mean, I typically, you know, some people, if they're, they're actually seeing the vaccine and I mean, that tells us that they saw the vaccine just like you and I, um, we can feel a little bit punky the day after we get a flu vaccination, run a little bit of a fever, but some of these horses can get extremely sore, um, you know, where you give it. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've found on a couple of these that we can give banamine um, three or four hours before we vaccinate. Um, and that really does seem to help some of these horses that get so sore from when we vaccinate. I don't know what Dr. Wilcox sees, but. Um, so I, I, I would agree with you. I, I see the occasional uh, vaccine injection site reaction and seems pretty consistent. If they have it one year, they'll follow up and continue to do that right along. I have a couple of horses that it seems as though if I take a combo vaccine and break it down in half where there's only two or three vaccinations at a time, that seems to to really help. And I have some that I go one step further. I, I really like the, there's an intranasal flu rhino called Calvenza 
and uh, I I think I get good coverage from that, and um, obviously you don't get any reaction as long as you avoid front feet and shoulder stretches, um, putting it intranasal, uh, and if I'm using a multi-dose vial, which multi-dose tank, um, I always take that needle away and put a clean, fresh needle on there that doesn't have any material on the outside of the, the uh, needle. And I think when I switch to that, that really helps. And I like DMSO just topically on those reaction sites. That seems to dissipate some of that swelling a little more quickly. No, I agree. I use, I'll have the clients rub their necks down with DMSO. Um, I do think that really helps. You guys both get made fun of a little bit on the show circuit when you walk down either the Gray Thunder Alley or or the Kiefer Farms Alley. There's usually an order of DMSO. Is that right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It is in my alley. It's in my <laughs> practice. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I, I think the realm of places I use the MSO in my practice is far reaching. I, I think it, I think it has a vital effect almost as much or more than an anti-inflammatory effect in, in, uh, in some instances. If I have a horse that gets sick, um, I use the DMSO on those sick horses. I, I think that really helps get those bad sick horses over it much more quickly. It's my go-to in a viral in, in a viral infection. It's my absolute go-to. They'll get a draft horse will get a couple hundred cc's every other day, maybe three times. I think it makes a huge difference in those horses. It's pretty low risk too, isn't it? Yes. And I, I, yeah, and I, most of the time I put it in with a, I put it in with a nasogastric tube. I will put it in in a, in a liter or two of fluid, but most of the time I put it in with a nasogastric tube, especially if it's a respiratory infection, because the last thing that lung field needs is more fluid in it. Yep. Makes sense. You know, out here in the West, we have rattlesnakes, and the, the DMSO is probably one of the best helps when a horse gets bit by a rattlesnake. You use it systemically as well as topically? Yep, yep. And unlike you, I'll either tube it or, well, we'll actually, because most of the ones we see are bit in the nose, um, we'll actually just put it IV and IV fluids. Um, and we'll go every other day. Do most of those horses recover? I think the ones that are bit in the nose, yes. The ones that are bit in the leg, um, for some reason it gets into the heart. Um, and those horses just tend to not make it. 
Oh, the the question is why does why do the rattle when horses get bit by, by rattlesnakes is do the ones that get bit in the face have a better outcome than bit in the leg? And I don't I can't give you significant medical reason other than it seems like the ones that get bit in the leg, um, it tends the toxins tend to get into the muscles, um, gets into the heart, and um we end up having um significant heart issues um and i don't maybe it's when they're bit in the head they get swelled up so much that maybe the toxins stay more in the head but um i i just don't i can't tell you exactly why just experience through the years that um just tells me that they don't do as well if they get bit in the leg is there an anti-venom for there is they've They've come out with an anti-venom. Um, it's plasma enriched and they're really, it's not as expensive as it used to be. So it's economically, um, you're, you know, more economical to do. Um, so, and definitely does help. You have to get it within like 12 hours, but it, it definitely does help. Mm. <clears throat> Interesting. What's your guys' thoughts on annual blood tests or stool samples, those types of things, like in some sort of annual test just as far as horse health goes? Is it worth it or? Go ahead, Dwayne. Um, so I, from a blood profile standpoint, uh, I would encourage people who have uh, performance horses, um, if they're not doing well, not doing their job the way you think they're supposed to, I, I think those horses, that's a, a, a starting point for me. And and uh, I, at least I have a baseline and I know about red counts and anemia and I know about organ function and tie-up syndrome and those things then i have a baseline if i can get them to do it early in the season and then as the season goes along i can recheck it if i need to um as far as fecals go uh i don't encourage that i would encourage them to spend their money on dewormers and i'm a double dewormer guy i think if you give one you give them two The worst thing that can happen is they poop out this the wormer they don't need, huh? <laughs> I think so. What's your thoughts on that, Stacy? Um, I agree. I mean, I think these performance horses, if you can get blood drawn, at least you have a base. So if if they're not doing well or not performing, you have something to compare to. I am definitely recommend on my older horses. I mean, we have so many of these older horses living on um, fibrococcin, a type of non-steroidal um, that helps with arthritis and pain that I think you need to keep an eye on their liver and kidneys. Um, so, you, I mean, it's definitely recommended in my senior horse population. Um, but I think having a baseline blood work on these performing horses, because we're asking these horses um, 
way more out of them these days than we used to. Um, at least you have an idea um, what their what their normal is. I mean, we all say what normals are, but I think each animal is an individual, and they all have a little bit slight variation in normal. So you have something to fall back on if 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 they're not performing. On the, the blood fecal, tests, does it show up uh, selenium, vitamin E, some of those things? You have to test specifically for those. And I, I think we're learning that vitamin E plays a, a central royal role in neurological function, muscle function. Um, and so um, a lot of people test hair for vitamin E, selenium. Um, but I, I think it's something that's really coming to be a crucial part of performance horses. Ladies and gentlemen, for all your carriage needs, look no further than Twisted Luck Carriages. We offer a fully customizable shop with over 300 color options to choose from and many accessories to complement your perfect rig. By being the exclusive agent for Coyotics Carriages in North America, we can help you achieve all your carriage goals. Now available, containers direct to Canada and the U.S., along with new and used in-stock carriages and many parts to keep your carriage rolling smoothly. For more information or to let us help you design your new carriage, call Rex Mann at 405-326-5623 or visit our website at twistedluck.com. With Twisted Luck Carriages, the sky is the limit. So what's something that, you know, anybody could just take in precaution that they might be lacking a little bit of vitamin E? What's something they could feed as a top dress to help that situation? Well, they make a vitamin E. Well, several companies make a vitamin E supplement um, that you can top dress your feed with. Is there something you need to watch for when you're feeding the seleniums and vitamin E's? Like my understanding is, is this not all equal? You can buy the cheap stuff and it maybe isn't as digestible. Um, the more expensive stuff sometimes is more digestible, but not necessarily. Is there something you need to watch for when you're, when you're doing those type of supplements? I don't know what to, I don't know what Dr. Wilcox's feeling is on it. I I know I I stick to only a couple different brands because of the way it's formulated. Um, particularly with selenium, you have to be careful not to get too much in them. Um, some of the um, too much selenium, they'll start losing hair, tail hair, mane hair. So you can get a, a too much selenium. So that is something. Particularly in our area, we can have areas of high selenium. So um, you can have a, a toxin to selenium, but I, I do think your cheaper vitamin E's and stuff are probably not as absorbable and the horses don't really get much out of them. I mean, I only, there's only a couple of the vitamin E's that I truly recommend. I would agree with you. We talked a little bit earlier, um, 
draft horses are getting bigger, more athletic. What's the balance in like, as far as training, maintaining soundness, health, where, where's the balance in all of that in your guys' experience? Dwayne? I know I know Stacey, with our own I know with our own horses and being around the big hitch guys, I think it's diet, preventative maintenance, um diet, preventative maintenance, a correct exercise program, and taking care of their joints and stuff. I mean, these guys are athletes just like our rainers and cutters and um, they have the same joint issues. They have the same feet problems. And and nutrition has come such a long ways that it plays a big role in these draft horses. And it's the days of just feeding simply oats. I think we know there's just better diet um, recommendations out there for some of these draft horses. Go ahead, Dwayne. Uh, I, so I, I would agree that the, uh, feed program is extremely important. I think you feed your grain for energy and you feed your good haze for body mass. I think that you have to exercise these big drafts enough to make them fit. But I think as you increase that workload, you have to pay much closer attention to unsoundness issues or, or, you know, once they know their job, your own, then I think your, your biggest challenge is making sure they're fit enough to do it when it comes to showtime. So in other words, you'd recommend getting them to know their jobs and then maybe, um, not say, well, just use the term pound, not pound them quite as hard and just kind of let them relax a little bit and just do more of a, maybe a walking exercise or something. Yeah. I, I think that you need enough exercise to increase their heart rate because you've got to try to build up some endurance, but I think you have to be conscious of the fact that they cannot keep pounding on those feet and legs the whole once they know their job, they don't they don't have to pound, they just have to be fit. And I think the surface that you drive on is extremely important. I think it needs to be flat and a bit soft. Take as much of the rolling inclines out of it as you can, especially if you're doing more than walking. I think that as boring as a circle is to drive around or a path is to drive around, I think that a flat, well-groomed surface that has a solid base to it is extremely important. And Stacey- I think Churchill Downs closing this week is a proof of that. Mm-hmm. And Stacy, you mentioned something about joint health. Um, what, what's something you would recommend either as a top dresser? There's all kinds out there. And once again, that probably goes back to what you were saying before is there's a cheap product and there's also probably products that are a little bit more expensive that might do a better job. Uh, what's something that you would recommend 
for a good joint supplement that's out there and available? You know, unfortunately, I'm not a big um, joint health speed additive um, promoter just because they're not FDA regulated. So therefore, those companies do not have to prove that those actually get in the joint and help. And so I usually, there's so many good products that are FDA regulated, such as in a hyaluronic um, acid legend, which goes IV. They have shown that it gets into the joints. It stays in the joints. Um, Adequan, um, again, FDA regulated. There's a new one coming out, Pentacin. Um, and all three of those have to be FDA regulated. They have to show that they're um, get into the joint. They improve the joint. The research has been done. So I, I tend to go that route because your feed through joint health, you obviously, the more expensive ones are going to be better. But if you start weighing out the difference in cost, you might as well go with something that you know is actually getting into the joint. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask about which um, feed supplement for joints is the best because I tend to recommend something that I know is actually getting into the joints. Dwayne, would you agree to that? Uh, not exactly. So... I think there are two good feed-through products. I think there's a product made by the company that also makes polyglycan called Tandem that's a powder feed-through. Um, I have clients who come back and get that one more than one time or ask for it. So I think, for me, that's an anecdotal positive. The other feed-through product, Top Dress, I like. I, I think the uh, Lubricin product that comes from Dr. Alday's company here in the Midwest. I personally know that one works because they have it in a, in a human uh, form as well. I think it's the same stuff. It's just great flavored. Um, and I have taken that myself and there's no question that my joints feel better after a few days of that. But I agree. I like the Legend product, the Adequan product. They are FDA approved. Um, I have a tendency to use those products mm -hmm. or HA products in intraarticular as opposed to systemic. I use a little bit of it systemic, but I use a lot more of it intraarticular in the joints. And while we're talking about joints, um, injections some people totally against it some people believe you know uh, it helps does it hurt anything to do it or are you better uh like to do maybe some injections or just use anti-inflammatories anti or or both or what's uh preventative measures that you can take uh to help out with a joint that might be wore out a little bit go ahead Dwayne. if the joint if they're, so, they're, we, we treat them like they're professional athletes. I mean, we expect them to perform like professional athletes, so I think you have to treat them like professional athletes. So I'm a proponent of joint injections. Um, 
I, I think taking care of joint issues, unsoundness issues, whether it be watching the horse or taking radiographs or doing diagnostic anesthesia to pinpoint the unsoundness, I, I think you have to treat that and take care of it, or, or in turn, you end up with a loading situation, and oftentimes that leads to a soft tissue injury on an opposing leg. So I, I think that you have to address it. As the joint wears out, it, it, it wears out. We haven't been very successful in the regenerative measures. I know there's a few things out there with stem cells and ERP and such, but... I like a combination of the joint injections and the anti-inflammatories. Are you cautious on like age of horse or when to start that? Or are you, I mean, I guess my belief is, is if the horse needs it, it doesn't matter if they're old or young or whatever, if they need it, they need it. But does that, uh, does that come into effect or? Again, I think it, it, I'm a little more conservative in a, in a younger horse than in an aged horse, but if they're expected to do a certain job and it's that time to do it and they don't get a chance to do it again as they get older, especially when you get to the rainers and cutters and racehorses, that most of that big money is when they're young. So as long as the owners and the trainers understand that there's a cost involved with doing that I, from a standpoint of longevity of the horse oftentimes they elect to go for the prize and, and uh, maintain the horse Is there long term effects from the joint injections? Positive or negative? Uh, so positive is you take care of the problem and you don't get a secondary problem in a lateral leg secondarily. The, but certainly there is some joint degeneration that may well be accelerated using a corticosteroid combination with the HA. And I think to add to that too, we also know inflammation in a joint can be, can be more detrimental than injecting them. I think CSU's done enough research to show that if there's inflammation in a joint, that can cause more problems too. Um, and one thing I think to add, I think in my young horses, um, I am going to x-ray them and make sure there's not a developmental issue um, or a chip or something um, before I go and injecting them to make sure that I'm not um, missing something in that joint, that the, the joint injection is going to make it worse down the road. If we need to go in and do surgery, um, then we, in, before I go in and inject a young horse. So if you have um, a that needs a joint injection, is that is that a pretty good candidate? Would you combo that with like Legend or Adequan or something like that? I think it depends on what the horse is being used for, and unfortunately, I think 
the budget comes into effect too. I mean, yeah, I'd love to, if I have a horse that needs to be injected, I'd love that owner to have it on um, some systemic. And I'm not opposed to the oral um, joint supplements. So I think anything you can do to help maintain a horse's joint health is going to be beneficial for their performance. So of all the we do a sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Stacy. Sorry. We inject a lot of horses. I mean, I'm not opposed to injecting them. We use everything from corticosteroids to hyaluronic acid to any of the new um, IRAP, um, ProStride, um, to some of the new um, ones that are out on the market. Um, so on this topic here, whether it's a riding horse, a barrel horse, or a race horse, or a draft horse, uh, what joints do you normally see um, be a, an issue, like one of the first joints that you, you see issues with any, any performance horse, or does it, does it vary? I think it's going to vary. I think we out here see a lot of front feet issues because our ground is so hard. We don't have the humidity, and it doesn't matter how much you keep this ground, try to keep the ground good. It's just we're higher elevation, or in the, it's just so hard that I see, think we see a ton of feet issues. But, and it de- depends on the discipline. I mean, I know your rainers and cutters, you're definitely going to have hawk issues early because you're asking them to slide and spin. Um, so I, I think out of school, you just didn't talk about the sticks. We're finding that, you know, necks and backs and SIs can be um, primary. We used to think it was always secondary to lower leg. Um, I think in the drafting and stuff really does affect the neck, the withers, the back. Um, so I, I don't think there's one simple joint that I look at anymore, you know, it's, you know, you got to look at the whole horse and what their job is. And, and I, you know, one horse could be lame one place and same discipline. A horse can be lame somewhere else. And I don't know what Dwayne sees back there, but, um, or what his thoughts are, but, um, I guess I'm lucky because I, I went to school at Colorado State where they've done, and they're, I'm lucky they're in my back door. So if we have neck and back, um, they're really good about injecting those up there. I think in the race course practice of, of years gone by, I think that the two-year-olds were dominated by knees and ankles and a little bit of feet just because of the hard surface at the standard racetrack. And then as they get older, it moves to some feet and or ankles. And, and, uh, I try to stay away from cycles on two year olds as much as I can. Uh, that's the last 
growth plate to close. Usually doesn't come until the fall of their two-year-old year, so I try to stay away from that as much as I can in the younger ones. Um, and then if I would agree with Dr. Stacy that as they get older, it seems to be that it moves more to the necks and backs. Every horse is individual, and you have to approach them that way and go in with a, a bit of an opinion and an open eye at the same time. What are the, some of the things you guys look for when you're evaluating a horse as far as where to start? I mean, obviously, x-rays are handy. They can be kind of deceiving, too. Sometimes the x-ray shows different than what the results actually might be after an injection. But what are some of the things you look for? I know like a horse that kind of gets a little snappy behind, usually that that's a pretty indication that they're maybe hawks or... What are some of the things you, you look for? Can you feel for fluid in their front feet? You know, just some of those type of things. So I like to, to uh, watch them walk down the aisle or the shed row to start with and then palpate and flex. I think coffin joints will show you swelling, fluid, joint effusion. Uh, I think knees and ankles will flex sore. I like to palpate soft tissue, looking at tendons and suspensories and look for a blind splint. Uh, from a hawk standpoint, I, I usually will go the most off of range of motion and possibly a painful palpation. Uh, stifles seem to be a, most often a joint effusion. And then how they carry those legs, the stride length or stride flight, And I'll take them outside and trot them on a lead shank. Or if I'm lucky enough to be at, a, at the racetrack back then, I would. Um, my favorite thing is those horses move on the racetrack. And I feel the same way about the draft horses. I, my go to is to watch you guys drive them when I'm trying to figure out a unsoundness issue. And that becomes the flight of the leg, and, and the, whether it be the, the stride length or the. the uh, non-conforming symmetrical stride between two legs from the rear view mirror from the rear view. I think I learned the most from, from watching the horse exercise ridden or driven. I, I think that's where they do I, show like the, and I, I guess to attest to that, I, they show you so much different. Like there's so many horses that you can lead them and when they're not engaged and they're just kind of going, it, it's so much different than when they're hitched. I mean, I have a few horses. If you bought them on the lead shank, you would pay meat price for them. And then you see them drive and they, it's a completely different motion and carriage and everything changes so much. I would completely agree with that. Or it can be the opposite too. <laughs> Yeah, those are the ones that usually end up right. <laughs> oh, look at that sucker looks good leading. Well, you do. Yeah, yeah, that first one is that first one's a good buy to sale. Penwood's Equine Products is a family-owned and operated business that strives to support the growth, performance, and longevity of your equine family with our premium nutrition supplements. 
We make all of our products with locally sourced ingredients right here in the USA, so you can always be sure you're getting the highest quality. We've always been horse people. Our products were developed to take care of our own horses, and we continue to back our supplements with real-world horse owner experience. We're proud of the results, and we love sharing our generations of equine knowledge to help meet all of your horse's needs. We want to get to know you and your horses, and we're here to help with any questions you have. So reach out to us. You're part of the Penwoods family. You can visit us at penwoods.com, email us at info at penwoods.com, or follow us on social media. Stacy, let's get a couple of your opinions uh, on on what you what you look for, what you watch for, uh, kind of where you start when you're evaluating a horse, and maybe some unsoundnesses. Uh, well, I agree with um, um, that. The only thing I I like to watch them in their stalls. I like to see if their point foot are pulling shavings or so I I like to watch them in the stalls and I like to go over the horse because a lot of times if you go over the horse you'll find soreness issues in them but I I'm with you guys I like to watch these horses go i like to watch them when what they're doing i mean i do a lot of barrel horses and sometimes just watching these horses run barrels you, you can see where they're they're sore in their hocks they're not wanting to turn a barrel so you're staying on uh moving them on a hard surface i like to start watching them on a hard surface but I think you also got to look at them on a soft surface. So I think feet issues often show up on a hard surface. Soft tissue show up on a soft surface. So I think you've got to look at them on both types of surfaces. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is the shows that we show at. And the, you know, we're, we're getting more invested in these horses. And it really seems like some of the ring conditions are subpar. And I don't know what the answer is because I guess footing is such a intricate thing. If, if you have it nice and soft and, and the footing's great, then usually it's too dusty and the crowd can't see anything. The judge can't see anything for the dust. And then you wet it down and, and then it'll pack and, and get really hard by the end of classes. And I, I don't know what the answer is, but. It is it is one of the things I think that we really have to start paying it a little closer attention to in our industry. Well, not only that, but just even when you're hand walking them and stuff means there's a lot of times you're having to walk them on asphalt, you know, day after day to get them exercised. And I think so many of these facilities um, don't have a lot of proper footing, you know, and I, I'm with you. I don't know how to go about changing it, but um, you look at the arenas at times and you just, it's harder than concrete. Yeah. There's nothing worse than that. Absolutely nothing worse than that showing on a, 
hard or sometimes too deep. And I agree, it takes its toll on the horses big time. For sure in the middle of the summer when you're right smack dab in the middle of your big schedule and stuff, and that is no fun. But what's uh, what's your guys' opinions on chiropractors or like the the magna waves and the beamers that are out nowadays or what what what's your opinions on that stuff? I'm a firm believer that it takes both eastern and western medicine to keep these horses at their top performance. Um so I I'm a believer in both. Um I think you're Magna waves and beamers and all that. It's not a one-time fix, unfortunately. I think that's something that has to be done to think it's helpful. I know Colorado State is doing some research actually on the beamer um, so that they're getting some true research to prove, you know, how it helps, where it helps, how's the best way to use it. Um, so that'll be interesting once that research comes out, but I think you've got to use both Western and Eastern medicine. Dwayne? I would, I would agree. I like the, the, uh, benefits of, of the, Good chiropractors. I think they're quite helpful, especially in the in the drafts. Um, I I don't have much, if any, personal experience with the magna waves and EMFs and beamers and things. So I don't know that I can have much of an opinion about those. Back in the day at the racetrack, it was a uh, blue ocean rub down over their back and a driver's bag over top of their back and a cooler on top of that. And that's how they kept them warm between heats or training trips. That's a pretty antiquated femur, but I don't know much about the, the, the specifics of those things. I do think that there is some muscle. This, this is an opinion. I, I guess I do have an opinion about the magna waves. I, I think that sometimes there's some muscle fatigue that happens from that. Or it seems to me that there could be some muscle fatigue from that uh, magna wave that uh, might occur a little close to a uh, performance class. In other words, if you turn it up as high as it'll go and just crank on that horse right before a class, there's a chance that you might make them more sore. Well, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of pulsation and a lot of muscle twitching that occurs with that machine. So, I think there's a really fine line if you're trying to use that to warm up muscles as opposed to you have muscle muscle fatigue and exhaustion before you go to that class. I agree. I, I think there's a place to and time to use the magna wave. 
Um, but I'm not so sure right before class is when to use them. I think there's, I, I th- and I, the other thing I think that we, we have a little tendency to get away from, and they do it now in the racehorses too. Um, I, I don't know that we always have the time or take the time to cool horses down after we've um, exercised them hard. I think, I, I think that walking a horse out after a hard go helps that blood flow and circulation and gets that lactic acid out of that muscle mass and you don't have so much stiffness and so much soreness afterwards. I, I think letting those horses have some kind of exercise afterwards or just walking them out on the, on the vehicle that you've exercised them on that day or, or uh, putting them on a TheraPlate or a plate or, or any of those things is helpful. I think that pooling of that blood and that muscle mass with that lactic acid in it is, is uh, cause for some soreness afterward. So how do you, like at these draft horse shows and you're showing your hitch and you're going from the six to the, the four to the team and stuff. And I mean, I mean, I, 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 I'm guilty of not doing it myself oftentimes, but I do think it, it probably would be helpful. But by the end of that six class show, we're exhausted just like the horses are. Well, and we're all in the same boat. You run back to the stalls and take, you know, four off and cross tie them. Or, I mean, if you're lucky enough to have spares to go back into other classes. But, and we're great here at home. I mean, we'll drive and then we let their heads down and we walk. And you get to a show. And, um, I mean, obviously when TJ was roping, you know, he would go and walk the horse out. But um, it just goes back to what Kyle was saying with the hard arena surfaces and, and they jam pack us with classes. How do you, I mean, how do we get away, you know, be able to, to cool these horses down, you know? That's a very good point because it just doesn't get done or not done enough. If you're lucky enough to, you know, be in the back corner of a barn somewhere and hopefully not on asphalt to get back there, uh, that would, you know, that's obviously ideal, but I'm the same way at home. I, every time I'm done driving, I always make sure I walk them and, um, not just drive them up to the barn and unhook them and put them in the cross tie and rinse and put away. I, I always think that's important to walk them, but like you say, Stacy, it, it's really hard at a show, uh, to do that. And I don't, I guess I don't know the answer to that because you get into some state fair situation and it's pretty much coming out of the ring right back to the barn. And well, and to that tough. point, there's no warm up either. I right. mean, you basically, like Indiana State Fair, if you want to warm your horses up, you basically go out to the parking lot and trot them on the asphalt. Yep. And that goes back to your footing again, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer is. It's not easy either. Like, I know after a six horse hitch class, the last thing I feel like doing is walk in the six for another 20 minutes or half hour. <laughs> Cause you're usually you're you're tired yourself, <laughs> but I mean, it would, it's honestly the best thing for them. I'm sure. 
what's uh what's some of the most underused things that you guys provide as veterinarians uh to assist equine athletes as far as with your clients i mean medications um exams advice annual things uh what are some of the most underused things i know i often have phoned both of you and just picked your brains about different things um what's something that is underused amongst your clients go ahead Dwayne. oh i was hoping i didn't go first <laughs> <laughs> Stacy, you want to take it first if you got good reception right now? I, I think I think I think probably uh, due to time constraints, we do treatments ahead of diagnostics, and I don't know that that's a that's not a fault or an underuse it's a more a victim of the circumstances in my, in my practice at least I agree with that I totally agree and I have clients that would rather pay for two injections a week apart and trip charges and all those other things than go through the diagnostics and then you have to come back three days later to or at least two days later to do the injections and and uh, they just, you know, they have the opinion that two two sets of injections is not going to be any more expensive than diagnostics and and and, and radiographs, etc. I think they'd rather treat, take a stab at treating a problem as opposed to always having it defined. Throwing poop at a wall and hoping a piece sticks is what I like to call that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know that, and I, and I don't believe that's a fault. I just think that's yeah. some people's choice. That's just what they would, would, would uh, prefer to do. Well, I think some of that is circumstantial, especially in our, in our industry. And, and I'm guilty of it too. You get, two weeks, three weeks from the show, you start hooking a six a little bit more often. And yeah, that horse is just not cornering as good to the left. Let's figure out why he's not. And so the chiropractor comes, the vet comes and I mean, you're trying to fix it because you're two weeks from the show and he needs to be in the left swing. Uh, let's get that fixed right now. <laughs> and yeah, you just start, you, you, you do what you need to do to make that horse ready to go. I have to admit that I do it on my own because by the time I get home and I'm able to, and a lot of times I don't get to see them drive until we're getting close to showing and, and I don't have time to step back and do the diagnostics. And um, so it's bad on my part, but, and I recommend joint blocking and I recommend blocking, see where the lameness is. Just sometimes we just run out of time. Yep. It's that thing called time always seems to get us, but I agree with Kyle, what you just said about, you know, you just training him and then all of a sudden he gets close by, then you call the vet and you can't get in there to get an x-ray or a scan done till, you know, two, three weeks out while shoot your shows two weeks out. And 
you just kind of gets into a cluster a little bit. But uh, anyway, what's some of the best advice you can give your clients? Pick up the phone early rather than late. Whether that's a sick horse or a lame horse or you just have a simple question. I, I, I like phone calls. I, I think no question stupid. I think any you need to ask the questions. No, no questions stupid. And if I, you guys have listened to Mark and I on the podcast <laughs> enough. Is that what you're saying, Stacy? <laughs> well, I just you know I I'd rather you call and ask and it be like oh no I think you're fine than to wait two or three days and it's not you know. Or if your horse is colicking, call and ask instead of waiting 12 hours. I, I agree with Dr. Wilcox. I, the earlier, the better. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think a good relationship with the vet's probably the most important thing. And um, just from experience and years and years ago, not so much now because, but yeah, I think it used to be like when we used to show, I don't think the horses were as athletic as what they are today. And so the unsoundnesses maybe weren't quite as pronounced and it just seemed like it, it was such a negative connotation. If a horse had a problem, there is such a negative connotation. Well, that horse is no good because he has a problem. And I think as times went on, I think our industry has gotten better at saying, you know, every horse has a problem. I mean, to some degree, there is no such thing as, as, perfection on a horse and if you can do things to help the horse there's there's nothing wrong with it and the more proactive you can be on issues the less those things are issues as far as soundness wind any of those type of things I think there was think, a guy by the name of Dr. Wilcox told me one time, if the horse is breathing really good and they're sound, they're going to perform their best. <laughs> <laughs> I probably did say that. <laughs> well, that's kind of the way I am. If I'm breathing good and sound, I perform my best. That's not what, Kay- that's not what Kaylee says. <laughs> oh, she doesn't? <laughs> I don't even know why you'd open yourself up like that. <laughs> uh, I I have been breathing good. My soundness isn't quite there yet, but I am breathing pretty good. <laughs> uh, well, I tell you what, it's been great having you guys um, on here to talk about just general stuff. We'll have to get you guys back and talk about more, more things and more questions that we never even got to. And, uh, it's just been great, ton of knowledge, and just thank you guys for being on. Thank you for thank the invitation. Thank you guys for doing this. is great. I love you guys' podcast, and I think you guys are helping just open the whole, you know, industry up, and I think that's great. So thank you guys. You bet. Thank yeah. you, Beyond, just today. Yeah, it, 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 the podcast is oh, wonderful. Yeah, a ton of knowledge from you guys, and uh, we appreciate you getting on to share it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You bet.
The best little fair in Canada returns for the 160th year. That's right. The CARP Agricultural Society is happy to announce it's hosting their 160th edition of the CARP Fair from September 21st through the 24th. As your fall show season wraps up, the CARP Fair offers something for every draft horse exhibitor, large or small. With over 50,000 in premiums across the weekend shows, CARP Fair offers competitive hauler classes, North American Classic Cart classes, two North American Six Horse Hitch Point shows, as well as the up-and-coming Ontario Four Horse Hitch Series. With previous exhibitors from all over Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes provinces, as well as the eastern U.S., CARP Fair would be happy to see you in our barns for the 160th year. CARP Fair Draft Horse Committee would love to hear from you if you have any questions in regards to showing at the CARP Fair. Please reach out to them at info at carpfair.ca or Google carpfair.ca. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you drop by a Reinhold Tack and Western Wear mailbag, podcast at naclassicseries.com. Once again, podcast at naclassicseries.com. Any questions or feedback you might have, we would love to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great week, and we'll see you down the road.